Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. My name is Mindy Marcotte. I met uh, Maria when I started at Cheney School District. It was in the school year of 2014-15, I believe. So the year our daughters were born. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 It was yeah. that that following fall. Yeah. Yeah. So they were hella youngsters together, and I was fortunate to have you yeah. in my room. That was my first time in a school setting teaching. So. So where did you work at before that? I did some time at Northwest Autism Center, okay. and I worked in the Domino Project out oh, on Eastern. We love the Domino Project. Yes. So um, back when they were at Eastern, they had a pre school yes kind of program and that's where I worked okay yes. so Josiah had a speech therapist that would come to our house yeah from the domino project oh yeah when he was like three yes. so very familiar with that yes and I loved it but unfortunately because of like enrollment and what always comes down to the bomb dollar they had yeah. to close and that's what brought me into the Cheney district. But prior to that, I did Spokane Guild School for the toddler room. Which is now Joya. Yes, I was seeing that, and that was interesting. But I'm still so happy to see that resource out there. Yeah, and a lot of parents still utilize it, but I don't know how many people actually know about it. So we're gonna get that word out too. Yeah, because even prior to that, when it was Spokane Guild School, there was a lot of people when I told them I was working there, they're like, what is that? Uh It's amazing how many like resources there are in the community Mm -hmm. that we assume people know about but they really don't so my job is to get those words out (laughs) yes well I know like school counselors they totally have this whole library of resources and they start talking about all these different programs and Mm -hmm. outreach things and I'm like uh, we have all that in Spokane it just boggles my mind I must tell you that was my first introduction to uh, the school setting was that first resource classroom yes the behaviors and everything that went along with that. So it was kind of like a war zone, honestly, the first year. Yes. But we really worked through a lot and learned a lot that first year. Oh, I can't tell you how much I learned. Uh Well, that's actually one of my questions. Like, what are some of the things that you wish you would have known before becoming a teacher? Like, like, that you've experienced since. Oh, how how long do we have? As long (laughs) as you need. Yeah, no, like, um, what did college not prepare you for for special ed? And it's kind of a double-edged sword when I answer that because there's only so much a college can teach you Fair. from books. Fair. And they do teach you, but until you actually dive into it, you don't learn it, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Uh-huh. So some of the things I wish that I had learned were just strategies to deal with behaviors because a lot of times I feel like when I first started off, it's a lot of like, what is just comes natural to me? Like if this was my kid as a parent, mm-hmm. how would I deal with it? And I grew up with my parents were very the generation of you do what you're told and that yes. is that. Yes. And <laughs> if you don't do it, we're gonna help you do it hand over hand. Yes. <laughs> and there's the consequences. And I mean, as you know, that's how we ran it. Yeah. And then so I wish I had learned more about how do we verbally work it out rather than having to do hand over hand because I mean now knowing about trauma and how just even touching a kid or being in their bubble can really Mm -hmm. set them off Mm -hmm. I had no idea about that yeah and I feel really guilty about it but live and learn you know now I know you don't know what you don't know yeah right like and you just I think that's what happens a lot is 
as educators, we rely on what we know, Mm -hmm. which most of the time is only our exposure to what happens in our household, which is challenging when you become into a classroom and each household is so different Mm -hmm. that you don't know the best approach for every kid. So you just lean on what you know, and then you learn, you're like, oh. Or that would have been good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that's why they reacted that way. Right. Okay. Well. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe a course on like how to recognize that or like just just, different approaches or like culturally appropriate approaches. And Mm -hmm. yeah, because they do talk about how children for low income, how they might be at a disadvantage. They talk about different disabilities and the behaviors you might see. And then they talk about all the formal stuff like doing a behavior plan, looking at all the different things that might cause behaviors but really what do you deal with it when they're in crisis what happens when they have flipped their lid yeah and they are freaking out I know that their adrenaline's going, our adrenaline is going, and we don't always make the best choices. We just do what comes natural. Mm-hmm. So just learning how to step back, take a deep breath, knowing that it it's the it's in the child's hands. Yeah. You can't control it. You have to let them really have their moment and then calm back That's down. interesting. Yeah. Because I know like naturally I just want to prevent them from getting to crisis level. But sometimes they really just need to get to that peak, let it all go, mm-hmm. and then they can get back to baseline. We all need to cry. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> about adults Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wall podcast where we focus on topics related to loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal experiences my son Isaac who passed away in 2007 as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb who never ceases to blow my mind with autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism in that classroom and you just to me I wish I would have learned more classroom management because you can't learn it until you're in it Mm -hmm. is what I have learned like you can read all the textbooks you can listen to all the things but once you're engulfed into that environment you cannot be prepared and enough yes no (laughs) on how to handle certain situations so what was it that initially draw drew you towards like the autism world and the special ed world and like Was there a person that you met? Was it just, tell me about that. Oh my gosh, so this is gonna be kind of a funny story. I was going through just general ed teaching. I wasn't even going for special ed. And then they require you to take an intro to special ed course. Okay. And I took it with Dana Stevens. And it was really a big eye opener. And I honestly can't tell you exactly what it was, but I was drawn to it. And it, it might just be, lack of exposure so I was curious Mm -hmm. and a lot of my friends didn't really know about disabilities or let alone be going into special education we were all geared towards gen ed and whatever subject we wanted to teach and so maybe that's what it was but something really grabbed a hold of me I'm like I kind of want to see this through Mm -hmm. and I even talked to Dana she was my advisor and I said how do you know that you wanted to be in special ed and she really talked about the passion behind it wanting to help those kids I'm like okay so I kind of stuck with it and the longer I was in the program the more I'm like again I don't know what it is but I love these kiddos Mm -hmm. they're interesting they're unique they they need someone on their team Mm -hmm. and so I followed through with the program I became duly certified in both um, special education and general education 
but I did my student teaching in the kindergarten classroom. Okay. And that's really kind of where my heart was, was with those younger kids. I'm like, I'm going to be a kindergarten teacher. I just know it. I can feel it. This is, this is my knack. I am all for it. And um, I'm like, but I'm going to continue with my special ed because that's going to make me more marketable. Because it's so hard to get a job. Absolutely. You know, there's four colleges pouring into Spokane. Like, this is going to give me an edge. It's going to be awesome. I got out and it was a few weeks after I had graduated, the guild school had called me and they said, we need somebody. Would you be interested? Like not even in an interview, just like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, well, sure. I need a job. Right, right. (laughs) So I went in, worked with these toddlers. I felt so out of my realm. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how much I'm like, am I doing this right? Is this correct? And everybody kept saying, you're doing great. This is exactly what we wanted. Let's keep, keep going, keep going. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And just kind of went with it. And then I was talking to Dana and she had switched from being a professor at Whitworth University to helping out at Northwest Autism Center. And she's like, we need teachers. And I was just on, um, I was like a substitute teacher at the Gill School for long-term kind of a thing. And so my time was up with them. And so the timing worked out great. And I went there. And really, that's when my passion started to okay. spark. Was so when... you kind of had a mentor that yes. kind of helped guide you. Yes. To this. And I yeah. saw her passion and how much she made a difference in the world. Even though she was only teaching, I could still see that how she wanted us to be our best okay. as educators. Okay. And I fell in love with because with the Domo Project being mostly for autism. So can you talk a little yeah. bit more about the Domino Project? Because it's no longer in existence, but I yes. think a program like it should be coming. Like, yes. And, there's I, a need I, and for I'm it. not 100% sure if it's not in existence anymore. I think they did shut down the one that was at Eastern. Okay. And then I'm pretty sure they started something up really similar to it right by Whitworth University. And that's when the kids are going through the program, they can do their practicum right there. I'm pretty sure we'll have to look into that. But what it was is Northwest Autism, they had like in-person clinic, like one-on-one with a therapist. But then they also had a preschool setting, which is what we worked with 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 the Domino Project. And so it was a shorter day. I think it was only four hours they were there. But we really worked on anything from the eating aspect to circle time to independent work to play time. So all the things you would see in a normal school to try and get them ready for kindergarten. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. And they still had like IEP goals that we were working on, but they were geared towards academics. Mm -hmm. If you would like, you know, find your name or what letter is this or sort your colors, whatever, whatever be it for the kiddo. And so it was a really great intro so they're not just going into kindergarten cold turkey just mm. walking in blind mm-hmm. like whoa what is this at least they had some exposure yeah that's know. cool and then I think that might have been helpful too because then you would have had exposure to IEPs yes right before yes. like actually having to like go into that world yes. which is and I think you remember I'm very data driven like yes I was passionate yes. about my dad and that was one thing that I had learned from the autism center is I was their data girl. They, they would all kind of teach and collect the data, but I was the one that put it together yes. and made the graphs. And that was my passion. I still love data. Yes. I love it. Yes. Follow the data. Uh-huh. It will always tell you where to go. Yes. What, what's working, what's not working. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then you got to Cheney. Yes. And you're in the resource classroom. So explain to us, like, what is a resource classroom? What does that look yes. like? Yes. Yes. I think well, it would be interesting. 
Yes. Talk about what it looked like when you start, <laughs> and then talk about what it looks like now. Yes, to um, see the growth always, in education. Yes, always shifting. So when um, you and I first started, they actually had that combo classroom where it was resource yes. and self-contained put together. It was a disaster, and, and it's exactly how it sounds. Yes, <laughs> you had self-contained kiddos with resource room kiddos coming in and out. That that can't be triggering at all. So when we first started, just like you said, it, it was a lot of chaos. You have a new teacher, me, working with a veteran para, and then you as yourself where you've been a mom to somebody and so all different aspects of and we're all trying to work together as a team like what works and what doesn't yes and I just remember us trying to sit down once a week and saying what went well this week and what do we need to improve on because I felt like we're just like trying to navigate this minefield of how can we not set these kids off how can we Mm -hmm. get them to where they need now looking back I can find so many ways we could have done it so much better but So we started there where kids are getting pulled out for resource room because then the next year they had dissolved that and it was just strictly resource. Yeah. And you went to the self-contained room. I stayed with resource room. But resource, what it looked like is the kids had their instruction in the general education room. The teachers sent me times that would work to pull them out and we would um, work with them on all the skills. A lot of times teachers would send work that needed to be worked on. Wasn't necessarily at their level. And Mm. there weren't a lot of accommodations given, so we'd have to do it in the resource room. One-on-one, that kind of thing. And just really working on what their gaps were. And then as you were talking with the shift, what I've seen throughout these years is... First of all, I'm seeing we're not pulling them from core instruction anymore. Before, they could miss the lesson because we're like, oh, they don't understand it. It's so far above them. Mm-hmm. So that's been really nice to see is that they are getting access, just like their same age peers, to that core instruction. I love this. Yes. So we're yes. pulling them out like when they're supposed to be working independently at their desk or any other time that is not missing from the main core. So you guys are going into their classrooms? Yes, and, the- yes and no. So okay. we started to shift to work we were just pulling them out now yes you're right we are going into their rooms there are still some kids that do require some of that pull out time. okay and COVID is really what's holding us up because we can only be so close to each other sure you sure. know legally that there's not enough room in the classrooms they're already spread out across the whole room where do you pull three or four kids uh-huh. in the room into an area and still be three or four feet so sometimes it's easier to go on the hallway or into the resource room but we try to push in as much as we can and then of course once those restrictions are gone that is our ultimate goal because okay. we don't want them outside the classroom yeah yeah, that's, I'm loving that shift. I know. Well, it was hard. It was hard to wrap our head around, like, how is this going to work? Yeah. yeah. But it really, it comes down to collaboration. Mm-hmm. That's been mm-hmm. the biggest thing is, like, working with the general ed teacher, like, what is this going to look like? And each classroom is different. Do you think that gives the gen ed teachers more exposure, obviously, to special ed? But, it, like, it allows them to have a different vision of it, like, for them to, like, see it in practice versus what they assume was going on in your classroom. Do yeah. you feel like Yeah. It's- I do. I do. I feel like before it was okay just kind of scooting you out of my room. Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean that negative to any Jeanette teacher out there. It's just that's how things were done. You have your kids, I have my kids, but now it becomes like they're all of our kids and how mm. can we support all of our kids and help them succeed and I think Cheney School District and all the districts around here all across Washington are really trying that same model of there are kids how can we help and so yes the gen ed teachers are getting that exposure that 
even though I'm the special ed teacher, it doesn't mean that I'm the one that has to give them their instruction. You can give them their specially designed instruction minutes. And I think that's how it's originally supposed to be designed, mm-hmm. where the teachers were supposed to do the modifications to the IEP, and then you would just kind of support that yeah. and make sure that they support the goals and yes. everybody's kind of on the same track and making progress and oh, all that. You're absolutely yeah. right. Well, and we have learned that on the East Coast, they've always done inclusion. They've never had pull-out model. So they're students have been in the classroom from kindergarten so the acceptance level is vastly different Mm -hmm. than it is so we're hoping a lot of information makes it over this mississippi river (laughs) over the mountains and then over to spokane that's that's kind of what we're hoping for for sure yeah no that that's great and it's hard because i would have never known that prior to that because you just feel like you're on your own little world when it comes to special ed it definitely felt very secluded and so to learn that there there's a different way to do things, what, and it's effective, I think that's great that we're seeing that movement. So do you, so Cheney does, and excuse me if this is not correct, but you guys still meet every Friday morning before school. Correct. So as a district, all the special ed teachers come together on Friday, right? Or uh, yes elementary no. level. Yeah, so um, a little bit of all of that, you're on the right track. So, and I know all districts are practically doing this where parents are coming in for late start because the teachers are meeting. So we meet in our PLC team and... I actually do not meet with other special ed teachers. I actually meet with grade level teams because oh. I'm in the grade level classroom. That's a great placement for you, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense because you're kind of like that middle person. Like yes. you support the special ed and their special needs and what they need, but then you're also there supporting the teachers yes. and giving them what they need so they can independently service the kiddos. Oh, that's yeah, so no, great. you're great. And it's just learning like, we're planning on what's coming next week, who is still not learning the materials and needs some intervention. And okay. I can work with gen ed students in the gen ed classroom. It doesn't have to be just the special ed students. Mm-hmm. And th- that has happened quite a bit where I'm receiving some kids that, okay, we didn't quite get double digits attraction this week. I'm going to have a couple kids that are from gen ed and maybe one special ed person or maybe none. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It just really depends who gets it and who doesn't. And it comes back to this, we are a team and what can we do? So, but there are <coughs> some special ed teachers that do meet with other special ed teachers, <coughs> okay. specifically like self-contained. And I friends. guess my mind is still your self-contained. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where it was when I left. So that's my apologies, even but though we we're do. talking about resource. Yeah, no, but we as special or resource room teachers, we do meet once a month. And so oh. that's what you're thinking of. And we talk about what's working and what doesn't uh-huh, and you know uh-huh. what's new in the world that we need to know <laughs> so you had mentioned that COVID's kind of changed your practices yes how has that been and I was talking to my colleagues the other day that it's almost sad that I'm getting used to COVID mm-hmm. and I never you never want that to happen you never mm-hmm. want to have being so far away from somebody having to be so close but really the biggest thing is not being able I feel like I can't interact with them on the same level. So building that relationship yeah. is a little more challenging. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it. And it's it's different when I'm a foot away from you versus when I'm six feet away from you. There's just not that. So even with masks mm-hmm. and vaccines, you guys have to be six feet away. Is that... uh, it's actually three feet this year. Three last feet. last okay. year it was six feet. Okay. Um, this okay. year it's three feet. And unless if somebody is not wearing a mask, because some special ed kids, they can't. Challenges and yeah. sensory. And that's, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, but for the most part, it's three feet apart, but even, and it's only supposed to be for 15 minutes at a time. So when you have oh. 60 minutes on your IEP, uh-huh. Got to uh-huh. get a little creative, don't we? Uh-huh. <laughs> the math doesn't that's, quite add up. <laughs> that's interesting, right, because you would be short. Yes, exactly. So that's when we start using other people. 
we we really have to make sure that we keep our distance and that I'm not too close to you for more than 15 minutes. But it, I think it really affects the effectiveness mm-hmm. of the whole intervention. Mm. When you're over there and you're trying to write your ABCs, I'm like, no, make a line. I can't quite read you. Make a line yeah. right there. It's just not as effective as when I'm right there and I can instantly That's help you. interesting. I never thought that distance would play a part yeah. in like the teaching part of it. And maybe because I'm a touchy-feely person, too, I love to give the side hugs and the pats on the backs. Like, But I, I just... think that's that community, that yeah. se- building that sense of community. and Because be- our kiddos have to trust each other and have to trust you before they're even going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so if it takes longer to build that relationship, then you're just putting off their growth even that much yes. more, right? Yes. So I would say that's the biggest impact on COVID. I'm sh- sure there's so many other things. But for me, it's just being effective in the practice that I'm doing yeah. and building that connection. So we've heard a lot of about like the social emotional oh yeah so explain tell me about that when the kids came back or you have kids that what are in second grade yes that have been in like preschool yeah so your second grader only had what a half a year in kindergarten correct and so how has she been surprisingly because Graceland is a very she feels her emotions very strongly okay so when she's sad when she's happy you know it and I was expecting her to be a lot not as okay with it as she has been. Mm-hmm. I'm almost wondering if because this all happened in kindergarten and kindergarten so new to begin with, she didn't know any better. Right. Like, this and I, is school. I feel like Brooklyn was the same way. Like yes. she, there was not much to change. Like yeah. they didn't have to change gears. That's what their normal has started out to mm-hmm. be. So they just didn't know any different. Yes. Versus now the computer, I would say distance learning was not mm-hmm. for Graceland. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Talk about tears. Oh, oh. and no fault on the teacher. Like, but she was so bored. She hated that she couldn't play or talk to her friends. Yes. But normal stuff with going to school. And that was the most heartbreaking thing was seeing her cry, having to do that distance learning. But once she came back, the math so, second age. And in. Brooklyn was the exact opposite. So she would sit there and, because uh, they all have their headphones on, mm-hmm. right? Because I was homeschooling three other kids mm-hmm. at the time. So everybody had their, their headphones on and we're all sitting at the table. I didn't know it until her teacher emailed me. She would mute her teacher. And I would never know because the headphones were on. Yeah. So I had no clue. And I'm like, oh my gosh, child, you cannot mute your teacher. But those are all the things that our kids have learned at such a young age. Like it it never would have occurred to me to do that. Yes. One of my coworkers, her son was on. And of course, you can only pay so much attention when you're trying to teach yourself. And he thought it was so funny to pretend that he was frozen. He would make a weird face Stop and it. hold still. Stop. Especially when the teacher would call his name and he wouldn't know the answer. He would do, mouth wide open, completely not oh. moving. Like, oh, I think so-and-so is frozen. Let's move on to the next person. And that's how he would get out of it. That's brilliant. So smart. Oh. For a third grader. Like, who that, would that, Okay, our kids outdid us for sure. That is awesome my next meeting that I don't want to be at. I'm going to be frozen. Thank you, third grader. I appreciate the input. That is so funny. But that just shows how, like, our kids can really adapt. Yes. They really can. Yes. Like, I think more so than the teachers. From yes. what I've been hearing, like, yes. I'm obviously not in the field at the moment, but um, the kids have been pretty resilient to it and pretty accepting and just kind of going with the flow. And I think it's harder for the older ones that have seen traditional school. Yes. And they miss all of that. We do have those people that, like the loners and people like that, where they're like, I like that I don't have to sit next to someone, uh-huh. whatever have you. But I think for a majority, it's really affecting like fifth grade and up. Yes, because they've had four years of traditional school, mm-hmm. like you said. And then the online school and then 
middle school is such an interesting time anyways Ugh, and to yes. miss out on some of that like social development before you get to high school yes it can be pretty traumatic once you get to the next school yes like because high school and middle school are not ran the same <laughs> even the academics are vastly different mm-hmm. and i don't know how well our kids were being successful online with learning like yes. how much knowledge they actually came away with like yes and like you were saying like i have one kid loved it loved online school he could get all of his work done 15 minutes and be done with his day and then go to work and life was fantastic. Yes, I remember you talking about yeah, that. Yeah, loved you know, that. And then Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn, unfortunately, my third grader, or second grader, was on it for like eight hours. And yeah. it was hard to get her to want to be at school that long when she saw her older brothers like mm-hmm. 10 minutes a day. Like, well, he's done. Why do I have yes, to be here? Yes, it just didn't make sense to her. So what did that look like in the special ed world? What did, like... Yeah. The Zooms and the IEP minutes. Like, oh, my gosh. Can, I would love to know how that works. PTSD, I tell you that. Ours was not super <laughs> successful. Like, no, and I would love to hear from a special ed teacher that was successful because it was so immediate. Like, we had no warning of it coming. Right. Or at least I at my level. Right. Like, cause Maybe we were, the admin knew, We were closed for, like, two weeks. Yes. And, and then, then we were supposed to go back. Mm-hmm. And then two years later. So then you think about these poor teachers that are, like, in their 60s or so, don't know yes. technology, having to yeah. do all this. Oh, my gosh. Let alone... For my generation, I'm not as with it with technology as you would think. So, And I had a hard time. I can only imagine. My hardest thing was, again, it's, it's different when you're in person. It's different when I could be right next to you. Then it's different if I can be across the table from you three feet away. But then it's another whole different world when I'm on the computer and I'm trying to get your attention because so many of my kids, they're younger. I do kindergarten through second grade mostly. And a lot of their problems are, one, they've maybe never been in school or been outside of their home. Like maybe their family just doesn't have the means to get out and about. Maybe they are so impacted by ADHD or just even learning how to pay attention and be a student. And that was the hardest, just trying to get someone's attention or get them to stop talking over the computer. And then what happens when technology fails? Like my document yes. camera isn't working or my boom cards aren't working. Yes. Hey, I'm holding up this whiteboard. Can everybody see it? All right, let's sound out this word. Oh, I can't hear you. Is that technology or is that you? Oh, there's a leg. Oh, oh my gosh. I think we spent more time trying to figure out technology yes. than we could actually do the teaching. And then again, we come back to those relationships. We didn't have it. And if you're, kind of, you're coming in and you didn't know who I was, yeah. why am I going to perform yeah. over a screen? Like, and then, uh, yeah, and attendance, that was almost, there was no accountability there. So who knows if you even got your minutes. And Yeah. Oh, I, I so was So was the requirements still the same or were there kind of laxed? I like, think it was lax just because it was so unknown and everybody's yeah. just working through it. I yeah. mean, obviously, there's a lot more this year as far as what can we do to make up minutes, what's required. Last year, it was like, let's just make it through and give them okay. what we can with what we have. Okay. Yeah, and I know this year, and I don't know if Cheney did it, but they're hired like curriculum support people so they can kind of come in and like if they're noticing a kid is a little bit behind on reading or writing then they've actually hired extra staff is that correct to Um, kind of help support that fill in the gaps is that kind of what yeah and I think we were doing that years prior it's always been something that Cheney has been wanting to do and trying to do so we always had our traditional title support yeah you know that was always there but then we also had reading and math interventionists which is what I think you're talking about yes 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 yes. that was the word I was looking yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's tomato, tomato. It's amazing you go anywhere and it means the same thing, but it's like we call it completely different things. Yeah. But yes, we had these interventionists and really what was great about them is one, they could pull kids that really needed that small instruction. That They're not necessarily special ed yet, but they're just a little behind. They need yeah. A little help. Yeah. But also what was great about them is they could come in and they can teach the Jenna teacher 
curriculum and ideas that we could do. And so we were starting to, with my first grade team, with our math interventions, we would test all the kids and we would divide them into groups. Like what, where are their gaps? And we would start doing interventions specific on the gaps. Is it number ID? Is it number structure? Is it place value? And we would just hit it really hard for two to three weeks, every single day for 15 to 20 minutes. And it was really nice to just kind of see them kind of rise and someone would graduate So you saw that it was beneficial, Mm -hmm. even just that 15 minutes a day of intentional Yes. Intentional and learning. It was so much work, like all the prep work, all yeah. of the grouping and everything, but it was so worth it. Yeah. And, well, and then it, it saves them from maybe getting further behind and mm-hmm. having IEPs and like the more workload that would cause for yes. the whole department. I, yeah. And it's hard because we are in a lower income a place where we're at. And so sometimes parents just aren't able to help at home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and mm-hmm. I just remember growing up, my best thing, mm-hmm. but my mom and dad always did their best to keep me caught up to where I was. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine going home and not having that support. I probably would have been in the same boat as a lot of these kids, where it's just, it's lack of exposure. And know? what we learned in our house, because Josiah is heavily impacted. Oh, so yes. he was in, in, well, was in a self-contained classroom. Yes. So I was basically running a self-contained classroom a first grade classroom mm-hmm. and two high school classrooms. Well, Josiah's needs were so heavy yes. that a lot of Brooklyn's learning was she had to figure it out herself. She had to figure it out herself. Like I had to keep safety above education. Mm-hmm. And that as a parent is like whose needs outweighs the other. And that's never an easy decision. Do you but ever feel safety, guilty about that? Oh, 100%. Oh my gosh. I, I did, but Brooklyn's already caught up. Like Good. so and I kind of put a lot of faith into her abilities, knowing she might be behind this year. I understand that. I have to keep kids safe. Like, yes. So I actually had called the, the head of the special ed department. We're yes. like first name basis. We're best buds. <laughs> yeah. And I said. Got you on speed dial. Yeah, oh, yeah. He was like, first name. We're, we're good. And I said, please be aware of the students that are the siblings of. Mm, yes. Because I'm telling you what's happening in my home. She's not at grade level. Yeah. And it's not because I don't want her to be. I don't have the capacity to keep her on track for eight hours a day. I don't have the capacity to do homework after school. Like we've already done eight hours. Mm-hmm. I don't have it in me because now I have dinner and I have homework and I have all these other things. Yes. That, and it was interesting because they never perceived it. They never thought about, thought about it in that way. I'm like, I'm running a self-contained classroom with Jen Ed. Yes. There's a reason why... In the school districts, they're separate classrooms. Yes. Because the destruction of behaviors, just all of the things. Yes. And so that was hard. Yes. As being home and having Josiah and having to still like get him engaged on Zoom and not interrupt and not like run away and not do all the things. And then I'm seeing my first grader struggling. Mm-hmm. And this is all new to her, right? She's yeah. seven. And watching her struggle because of safety. And mm-hmm. it, to me, it really put into perspective, like, we really do need separation sometimes. Like, inclusion is cool. Mm-hmm. And inclusion is great, but it's not great for every student. And seeing that at my home with the school setting was very, like, solidified my feelings. Like, this would never work. Uh-uh. This would never work. Yes. Like, there are no. times when it's successful, and it really yes. is by kid oh, yes. by kid. Yes. Because there's some kids where it's like they are so close to grade level, they're getting ready to exit from special yes. ed. Oh, my gosh, yes. that's fantastic. Let's yes. keep them in gen ed. Or even the ones that are only one or two years behind, it's great for them to hear it. We give them those accommodations. Okay, I know you kind of struggle in writing. Why don't you just verbally tell me? They have the ideas. They're hearing it. Yeah. Where it's not working is, like you said, those extreme behaviors where they need – they. 
they emotionally can't handle that much all around them. It is a lot that goes into a yeah. classroom on a normal day. And just having that safety, yeah, knowing where they're at and that they, I have my quiet corner over here. This is where I work. But then when you put it all into one classroom where there isn't those firm boundaries. Right. Oh my gosh. No. No. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. They're, they're, it's great for some. And a majority, I would say. Yeah. But you still yeah. have that, like, 20% where it's like, yeah. You're Your top-tier kids yes. that are yeah, just. Yeah, the tier model. Yeah. Yes. You're 100% yeah. correct. So, I guess, as hard as it was, I do appreciate all the effort that's gone into it. Like, Brooklyn's right at Basla. She's right where she's supposed to be. Yes. Her writing is a little poor and her spelling is atrocious, but so is <laughs> What mine. kid is not? So, yeah. <laughs> I really just give her all the grace in the world for spelling. Yes. But she's, like, off the charts in math. So, and I put a lot of faith into that, that this has to happen this way because it's the only way that I can feel okay with yes. how this had played out the last few years. You know, we talk years. about teachers were just trying to survive and make it through, but really parents were oh, too. Yeah. You guys became the teachers when we were online. I can't tell you how many times I, I was talking about how I'm trying to get this kid's attention across the screen. There's some kids it would never would have happened if a parent didn't say, hey, hey, listen. Yes. Yeah. So it really, like you had one-on-one pairs yes. with the parents that were available. That were available. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've been very blessed this year. I know at my school, and I'm hoping it's happening in the other schools across the district, we hired on a few additional paras, and that's really helped with those interventions. Because we do still have interventionists doing what they can, but with the sub-shortage, a lot of times they're pulled out of their world and put into a gen ed classroom. And so it's been really nice to have extra pair support where, like I said, they just pull out the kid for five, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. depending on what they need. Let's do some flashcard practice. Let's practice your handwriting. Let's do your multiplication table, whatever have you. It's irreplaceable. And, and, and I think that that's important to say, like, it really only takes 15 minutes. Yes. Like it doesn't have to be super long two hours of drilling Mm -hmm. the information i think the studies show that 15 to 20 minutes is the max like once you hit 15 to 20 minutes it doesn't matter how good the material is you're not absorbing anymore in the day oh like there they have to have like a reset kind of a thing yeah i don't know how many hours in between what's the sweet spot but really they say 15 to 20 minutes per the subject is really your max that you really want to get really in there and that's how your brain's gonna i think that's important to know because like sometimes i would be sitting there like half an hour like come Why on don't I understand this we're yet? not done with spelling we're not done and then well, she's done well, I can tell you that tell, apparently she was done 15 minutes ago <laughs> yes and it's things I'm learning I didn't learn about that until last year and I'm like it makes sense yeah and so that even in the special ed world within resource they're really trying to limit because before we would have 30 minutes up to an hour yes. per subject yeah and they would be sitting there and be like okay we're gonna do flashcards and we're gonna read then we're gonna work on your retail and after that we're gonna work on your fluency and just going for an hour straight break it up this says an hour on your paperwork First of all, we're trying to minimize those hours. Yeah. We're trying to get it back down to like 30 or 20 minutes is really our sweet spot. But breaking it up, like if you do have 30 minutes or 45 minutes, well, who says you can't do 15 minutes here, 15 minutes here, and 15 yeah. minutes here, and 15 minutes in the resource room, 15 minutes with your gen ed teacher in a small group, and 15 minutes with a pair out in the hall. That's so great. You know? Oh, I love that. I love, 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 love that. So with COVID and on the online teaching, do you feel like the relationship between parents and you being a special ed teacher, like, did it help the relationship with the families? <laughs> did it not? Like, do you feel any different or? You know what? I want to say yes and no to that. And it really depends on the parents. Right. Just like any situation, yeah. some of them didn't have a clue what we did before. And now they're like, oh, I didn't understand. Right. Because there's not a lot of like 
parent visitors yes. in the resource and room. And then when you're on Zoom and they're in their gen ed class, because I wouldn't see them all day. I would just see them for their minutes and yeah. less time they'd be with their gen ed class. So for the parent to see like, oh, I understand how behind they are and I understand what wow. you're talking about now. But then you also get the parents that just weren't involved and they just get mad. Like, I don't understand why you had to close. Now I'm having to be their teacher. Right. And so I just really think it depends on the case and not discrediting anybody. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. situation is going to be way different than my situation yeah. at home. Yeah. It doesn't make mine any less than yours. Exactly. But exactly. yeah, it, it's been different, but... I, I would say, if I had to choose one, I would say no. I think the relationships are about the same. Interesting. Because okay. Okay. really, as a parent, you're going to know your kid the best. Yeah. Maybe your perspective around it is a little different now. Mm-hmm. But in general, you know, how I felt that you were doing before, I'm going to feel the same now. Oh. So... Now, yeah. I think other people might have a different no, take on no, that. No, I think for that sure. That's... For me, I feel, and I always, I feel like I really do have a good relationship with all my parents to begin with. Do you think that's what makes it successful too on meeting the IEP goals? Is yeah. that good relationship with the families? Oh, yes, yes. Just even today, I was on the phone. I was blessed to be able to have 25 minutes. <laughs> Whoever finds that time. Right. 25 minutes, I got to talk to this parent on the phone. And this little kindergartner had never been exposed to school before. Okay. So you can just imagine how that looks and then mom didn't realize how bad she was struggling I told her I'm like I try really hard not to interrupt you unless I absolutely need you because home needs to be home you Mm -hmm. need to be the mom I don't want you to have to be the teacher at school Mm -hmm. this kiddo was not snapping out of it and we needed mom's authority to come in and I kind of felt bad I told her I'm like I'm sorry that you didn't know this before but I think she was grateful that I wasn't calling her every single day over every little thing and so it's definitely finding that nice balance that fine line of I don't want to be annoying and calling you every two minutes but you should also know what's going on with your kid yeah like some of it is like classroom management and Mm -hmm. just testing boundaries at school and as the educator you have to kind of set the precedence Mm -hmm. in your classroom right so if you go and tell mom everything well you've already lost your foot oh like you are up a creek yeah but then it does come that intervention time where you're like look I've done all my things we've set all the boundaries I just need a little extra Mm -hmm. Yeah, and finding that line. So I don't know how much battery my phone has left. So we're just going to keep rolling with this. Yes, until Um, it goes black. (laughs) What do you wish would change about special ed? Do you have like a vision? Like what would you love to see the next growth be? Yes. Because it's grown so much already. It has. And I would imagine it would continue to shift like anything does. Yeah. I think the next huge step we need to take is the amount of support we have and the caseload numbers. What is your caseload number? So mine right now is 32. Holy moly. I was was in overload when we first went on COVID leave. So when we first went on Zoom, I was at 36 or 38. So, and that was hard doing it over the computer. Then when we came back in person, we had a huge dip and everything. And I was back down to 26. I normally hover somewhere between mid to high 20s. That's normally, I normally don't quite hit my caseload, but 32 is my caseload. And then if you're in a self-contained room, the, the cap would be about 12. 12. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I forgot what the original question what was. What would you change? What, <laughs> what would, would you I like? change? The, yes. Yeah, yes. The um, growth of the... Yes. Yeah. So changing the amount of kids. And I think this is more of a gen ed thing too. Okay. Because with us doing more inclusion, the kids are going to be in the classroom more. And I think it's really beneficial. Like when we look at kindergarten rooms, when I first started out, they would have around 17 to 20 kids in the room. And mm-hmm. now they're up to like 25. It doesn't sound like a lot. No, that's a lot of it squirrely five years. It makes a huge difference like even just two to four more kids mm-hmm. it, it, I mean I, 
if I wasn't in the education world, I'd be like, oh, you're just so full of baloney. Mm-hmm. Like, that is not true. You, you can handle four more. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, and sometimes, like you were saying, there's not enough space. Yes. And like, that's what it is. Yeah. These kids are, there's kids that had to, at one point, sit in the coat rack area because there's not enough square footage. Obviously, you try to normalize as much. Sure, can. The kids sure. were hitting up their coats in there, so they weren't stuffed in with coats. But, I mean, just right. even having to be in that cubby hole, just because, like, oh, here's another four feet that we can yeah. utilize. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think the next biggest thing is lowering caseloads. Even if it is by three or four kids, it really makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. It really frees you up. And it, it, being able to build those relationships and really working on those key skills that those kids need, both gen ed and special ed. Okay. And then, if we can't lower the caseloads, adding that support, because even having those extra pairs in the building, Mm-hmm. made a big difference i i'm really in the perfect world every classroom would have their own para even if yes. it was for a few hours yes especially yes. those k through two primary grades but even all the way through and if we couldn't have that even just a para per grade level that could oh. rotate that would be my yes. dream where we could go next money well spent instead of getting more people up in the admin area to tell us about curriculum or to help us with support i think we need to take all that money because it's a lot of money you should see that salary i wish put it towards some paras yeah yeah it makes a big difference and the paras are the ones that are like in the trenches let's be honest they run the school yeah i have no illusion (laughs) that the secretary the paras and the janitors the janitors and the cook y'all we could not have a school without any of those people no the paras when we have to get a substitute teacher let's be honest the paras are really the substitute teacher yeah y'all need to be paid extra when i'm telling you because and and sometimes it was just like just go sit down. Like, yeah, you, you cut this sit. out. I'll show you what to do. And <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and that's yeah. what happens. And then, of course, the secretaries. Mm-hmm. Just, oh my gosh, all the classes I've started teaching, th- things seem black and white, and I can't tell you how many shades of gray I see now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you just honestly. So, don't are know. you more compassionate now? Do you oh think my gosh, to situations so like? Do you remember like when you were with me and I was like, yes or no? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're one or the other. I can't tell you how much grace I have learned to give patience yes so that's what they've taught you that was my next question like what have the students taught you Mm -hmm. because I know that I never put out as much knowledge as I was given back yes I know for sure yes I was way more the student than the teacher (laughs) way more yes and they taught me that but also just to see what they're capable of and and I believed it but I never got to see it until I actually got to work with them Uh uh-huh I may only be able to read at this level, but look at what else I can do. Look at all these other things and look how I can contribute to society. Mm -hmm. I am going to prove you wrong in all the ways possible. And their abilities, I think, to like work extra hard to get to baseline, right? Mm -hmm. To get to grade level Mm -hmm. where some of our neurotypical kids don't put hardly any effort in (laughs) that... And yes. they're just like, Meh. My para right now, we were talking about her eldest daughter um, is actually on the spectrum, but she is effortless in anything she tries. If she has a desire for it, so for example, sewing. Okay. Never took a class, nothing. Just came out and said, hey, I sewed this skirt. And her youngest daughter and her have been trying just to sew pillowcases for yes. how long. You know, drawing was another thing she's really good at. And so it, it's just amazing how some things come so naturally. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that because that's interesting to me too. The difference between autism that you see in the classroom 
between boy and girl. Oh, yeah. So talk to me about what you've noticed the differences to be. You know, and and I'm going to be honest, I may not necessarily see the difference in gender, but just from one person with autism, you only know one person with autism. From one kid to the other, regardless of gender. It's amazing to me, the ones that you probably wouldn't even know they had autism, Mm -hmm. to the ones where it's like, ooh, hello, buddy. Uh And I think the more impacted ones I actually kind of enjoy working with them a little bit more. I really, it kind of keeps you on your toes. You never know what's going to excite them, set them off, bore them, you right. know, what, whatever have you. And it's amazing how they word some things sometimes. Yes. And um, yes. it just, it cracks me up. So to see that huge spectrum between the two. But I would say, obviously, there's a lot less girls that I have been able to interact with that have autism I can only think of two or three off the top of my head versus the handfuls of boys but I do notice with the boys when they do have that diagnosis they definitely seem a lot less able to attend they have a lot more outbursts it's a lot more behavior behavior based versus the girls is a lot more socially they're just kind of awkward so do you think it's like a masking situation or do you just think it presents differently I honestly couldn't answer that They always say autism is that spectrum. So you have a whole umbrella of things that it could look like. Now, in my very limited skew where I've only seen the girls where they're compliant and they're pretty close to grade level, but really it's just the social skills, how to make a friend and keep a friend and Mm -hmm. understand those social cues versus the boy that's freaking out because somebody across the table is eating from them, is eating an orange and I hate oranges. Yes. I don't necessarily think it's a masking thing. I think it just... Different abilities. Yeah, different abilities, and it presents different in each kid. And just because it's more prevalent in boys, that's why I get to see more of a spectrum within boys. But I know from experience that there is a spectrum within girls, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just haven't been blessed to see that yet. So is there anything else you want to add? Oh my god. Because we are almost out of time. Oh my gosh, we're like already. 50 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> you all are probably tired of hearing that. <laughs> no, no, we uh, love this. You know what? My biggest thing is if you've never been able to be in a school setting, whether it be a self contained resource room or even gen ed, I really encourage parents to try and be in a school setting however they feel comfortable because it's going to change your outlook. Yeah. You think you know it. Your kids, you're like, oh, this is my sixth kid. I know the ropes. But until you go into a school and see how it operates and see how other kids, how does your kid interact with other kids and how do other kids in the world look compared to your kids? Yeah. I think that was my biggest thing. And that's something that I want people to take away is put your feet in. That's awesome. So just inviting the parents into yes. the classroom and be a part of that culture and you know, see how their kiddo yeah. is. That's we always so want great. parents to come in. Like, please come in. Yes. Please come observe. Well, Mindy, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you, you for, for sharing me. your time with us and oh just gosh, yes. having a chit-chat with me. It's what we do <laughs> oh, best. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my gosh. We go on for hours. Well, thanks for having me. Yes. I really appreciate it. So with that being said, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Our time is almost up, and I'm almost out of battery. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.